This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. So, Chris, even though the holidays are over, 2018 will surely bring some festivities to your place. So impress your guests and maybe just yourself with Zupan's new heat and serve appetizers. You can choose from their fig and caramelized onion puffs, beef empanadas, candied bacon jam tarts. Oh, that sounds so good. Many, many other varieties, and they're available in the Zupan's frozen food aisle. Also, caviar. You can't ever go wrong with caviar. Zupan's features the finest selection of roe, both domestic and imported. Think about pairing this up with your bellinis or your favorite bubbles, which, by the way, you can get there at Zupan's. Also, don't forget, they've got these great Cellar Z regional dinners taking place. The next one, Cellar Z at Burnside, is Friday, January 12th. Take a tour of the food and wine of Emilia Romana, Italy. Sounds great. Four courses paired with wine. You can get details on that at Zupans.com. And you'll find Zupans Markets on West Burnside, Macadam, and Lake Grove. And of course, Zupans.com. time once again for Portland's Food Seed Podcast, and may I be the first to welcome you into the 2018 year I can't on the podcast. Fifth year of yeah. Right at the Fork. Yeah. Uh, that, of course, is Chris Angeles, Portland Food Adventures. I'm Court Johnson, and uh, we, are, we, we are starting off this year with a bang. I think so. Yeah. Could, and, and this has been in the works for quite some time. Yeah. Maya Lovelace, whose May pop-up I first went to a couple of years ago, and if you go back there was a the last podcast episode of 2015. Okay, was with Maya, but long before that, I had been to one of her pop ups, and I will um, pat myself in the back for saying publicly and to some friends that woman is one to look out for. She's going to be a superstar in Portland and beyond, and I think that has come to pass because we're talking to her on the heels of her opening. I'm uh, not on the heels, but. Just about as she opens her brick and mortar over on 42nd? Yeah, in fact, at the time we had this interview with her, she wouldn't even tell us where it was because it wasn't, she hadn't signed the lease. I don't even know if she signed it yet, but at least it's been, it's been publicized public. that uh, that that's where it's going to be. Right, and it came up on the podcast again when we had Stacey Givens, who was, her, who was opening her community-supported kitchen. She and, mentions, uh, yeah. mentions on the podcast there'll be another restaurant there. The same we place. said, which one? Yeah. And that's when we learned exactly where it was. Yep. Uh, over where the community-supported kitchen, in the old Delfina's uh, bakery space over there near Old Salt. So Maya's moving not far from Old Salt across the street. We don't know exactly when, but um, it's always, not, I'll tell you what, she's not at a loss for words. Nope. Doesn't sound like I am right now either. Too many cups of ristretto coffee, I guess. Um, She's not a loss for words, and I think she's fascinating to listen to. One of the things that makes her um, pop-ups very unique and wonderful is that it's really all about, it's not only all about the wonderful food that she serves, but her story and the stories of North Carolina, and she tells them so well. So what's going to be fascinating is to see how she translates that experience over to a brick and mortar, and she'll explain what she's going to have two parts to her restaurant, mm-hmm. uh, still doing her events, and also an a la carte aspect to it. So, uh, Maya Lovelace, it's just a pleasure to have Maya kick off our 2018 on Right at the Fork, and you'll hear it right now. But before we get to it, Chris, quickly here, you've got those trips to all sorts of different places in 2018, and people can get that information at portlandfoodadventures.com, correct? They're fantastic trips. Barcelona, Sicily, and Mexico City, and I strongly suggest that if you are into food travel, take a look and come with us. Also, we have some some events. If you're listening, this was January 3rd, this podcast. Tomorrow night, we may still have some uh, tickets available to the farewell to Matt Sigler at Renata. This is his farewell dinner at, uh, we're doing a Portland Food Adventures event there. Uh, so go to PortlandFoodAdventures.com where you also see our um, February 1st event with uh, Gabriel Pascuzzi, who's going to be on this podcast, I think, next week, next week or the week after. So stay tuned for that. But also stay tuned for our February 1st event where he's uh, 
our current Eater Chef of the Year is going to be serving a Calabrian dinner uh, way beyond his sandwiches that got him all the accolades that he's been getting. But before that, Maya Lovelace right now. You're comfortable? Yeah. Good. Yeah. Monday, are you calm? I'm, I'm calm-ish. Calm-ish? <laughs> calm do you enough. ever get... So let me ask you this. How much time do you get to... Hack around. Remember, I don't know if you know that term. That goes back to my teen years. We used to call it "want to go hack around." How much time do you get to do what you want to do? Something other than cooking and something to do with your business. Uh, like free time. Yes. Oh, that's I have- a good term for it. <laughs> is that what it's called? Well, I also find that though chefs, their free time is spent cooking at home. So I didn't want to ask it that way. Yeah. Sometimes I cook at home, but I feel like I I have a lot of actual free time. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's weird when you have you know a, a business and you also don't really have a home base specifically for that business so i do kind of have everything worked in all over the place like i might have some free time where i'm hanging out with friends but i'm also checking my email every two seconds and that's my little thing because people may see i'm walking the beach but i got this beautiful vast beach that i can literally look down Mm -hmm. so a mile is a is an involved email would be a mile (laughs) long So I don't know if you have that, but it's true. Wherever we are, we can, we can be working, but you do have, yeah, you don't have a restaurant per se with an office in the back. Exactly. But you know, you got a home base. That's your home base, right? Yeah. Or is it like between home and the back of, of, um, old salt, old salt. Sorry. I was about to say salt and straw (laughs) was going to come out of my mouth. Something salty. That was wrong. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, basically we're, we're at the space at old salt two days a week and then the rest of the time i'm kind of all over the place um which sometimes means you know answering emails on my couch in my living room sometimes means at meetings all over the city or you know how many emails do you get a day do you think oh i don't know i just want to know because i've sent you emails before (laughs) and no there's no offense i don't don't mean to god but they can sit in your email box for a while they sit for a really long time yeah i'm I have a really difficult time keeping up with all of that stuff at this point. And it's not even just email. It's email and Instagram DMs and Twitter messages and Facebook messages and texts and also Facebook business page messages. And it's all kind of way too much. Um, I actually recently hired um, a friend of mine as an assistant to kind of help me get some of that stuff a little bit more sorted out. But we're still very much in the beginning stages of that. So it's all a little bit. Touch and go. So, because if you had been doing this 15 years ago, <laughs> none of that stuff would have been relevant. There was one There was one way to get a hold of somebody, and that was calling them on the phone. Yeah. Right. And how about if you go way back before oh, Maya's time? Right. But you, you couldn't even, there was no caller ID. You had to ID, go down so there. you had to actually pick it up, <laughs> right. no matter what, and be oh, stuck. Oh, sure, yeah. Nightmare. So, um, <laughs> but, I mean... The, a chef's life is mm-hmm. lar- is a lot of it is spent with the phone. Oh, it's so much. And it, it feels really strange. You know, I feel like I don't notice it a ton of the time, how much, you know, time I spend on my phone, whether it's, you know, Instagram, Twitter, I mean, all of that stuff, or whether it's, you know, writing in orders for, you know, purveyors or, or checking out, you know, availability lists, all of that. It's on your phone all the time. And I feel like I don't realize how much I do it until someone calls me out on it. And frequently, the people who call me out on it will be, you know, older chefs mm-hmm. who are just kind of like, oh, you kids, you're on your phones all the time. And it's like, well, you, you have to be. Are they calling you out in person or are they just saying, oh, hey, in person. how much? <laughs> in person. And not, in, you know, not in an aggressive way. But I've definitely had friends of mine that have been like, wow, you're like really just plugged in to that stuff all the time. Yeah. Maybe you should take a break from it. And I'm like, I actually can't because this is how our business works at this point. Yeah. You have to be accessible, at least in some capacity. Unless you can hire somebody, unless yep. you get big enough to hire not just an assistant to deal, deal with some yep. of that, but all of it. Yeah. So, and I'm sure there are people out there who want to do that. Totally. So, um, and you, I always get a kick out of chefs shooting the food that's coming out of the kitchen. Yeah. Um, because, well, sometimes they must have time to do it. And it's also necessary because it it's it's marketing. Yep. Instagram is alarmingly important 
in the restaurant community at this point. Basically, if you don't have people taking photos of your food um, and putting them on Instagram with all the desired hashtags, you're left out of the conversation. It's really super wild to witness that and to think about it all the time. So I skirt the line with this because I like doing it. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I having so many people on my feed that are in the food business, I do get to the point where it's like, I really don't want to look at more food. You're just exhausted. Yeah, well, it's just enough. Not, yeah. Things stop standing out after a while. Yep. Like I've seen, I've seen some of the same things over and over again, and I post it. I'm guilty of it too, but mm -hmm. I'm doing it also for business, and I'm doing it also to say... Hey, well, not so much you, because you know if I'd come into May, but yeah. like last night I went to Mi Miramole, and it's like, hey, Nick, I stopped in. I yeah. just want you to know. Yeah. And so I posted that, and um, but it's a necessary thing right now. But there, I'll tell you what, what I've noticed when I'm really enjoying myself, there's not a post. There's no indication that I was at that totally. restaurant. Because if you're, I don't know, I feel like a good restaurant experience takes you out of yourself in a way like they, they kind of create another world for you to to be in for a while um, with, you know, music and decor and food. It creates sort of um, God, what's the word I'm looking for? It really just it, it's a whole experience. Um, and if that's done well enough, you don't want to pick up your phone. Well, there's a difference. I think when I'm alone or I'm with somebody else. Totally. So when I'm alone, my phone is my dining companion. That's fair. So I can go back and forth. Uh, if I'm with someone, I really, I can't say I, I never do it, but I mm -hmm. really try not to, maybe I'll take a picture and then post it in from bed yeah. later on. Oh yeah. I don't want to do that. But there are a lot of people that are just looking at their phones the whole time while they're eating. Yeah. I, I tell you what, I actually, um, I went to Vespertine down in LA mm -hmm. Um, in, oh God, when was that? September, basically after feast and after the long, crazy summer, um, that we had this year where Zach and I both turned 30 and didn't have a chance to celebrate our birthdays at all. We were just kind of like, you know, what? we're going to go down and go to Vespertine and have like a big crazy meal that reminds us of what dining can be something that's very different, something that we don't have here in Portland, you know, and it's a no phones allowed situation. And honestly, that felt freeing. They had a couple of restaurants in Barcelona that said, we appreciate yeah. you not posting pictures. Yeah. Which I thought, oh, that's awesome that, they, that they've made the decision. Now, when yeah. I started years ago with Portland mm -hmm. Food Adventures, I would tell people, put your phone down. Just yeah. enjoy the meal. Because it's a communal dining experience. Yeah. I'm no longer doing that. I'm now including the hashtags to say, right. here, post this, because it's a losing battle. And that's also, honestly, you know, an important um, you know, publicity thing for your dinners. And for any restaurant that also provides, you know, their hashtags and says, please use this or please tag us in this. You know, it's it's kind of you have to make sure that you exist in that world. Yeah, I don't know if they're really important for my dinners. I've decided oh, okay. that I'm, I'm not arguing with you, but yeah. I think they're more important for a restaurant. Totally. To keep being out there. I don't people don't post that much on my stuff. And the trips. Yes, I like I think that's good because yeah. that's an impression you can post for a week and people will think they remember it for a long time. Yeah. But anyway, we're kind of getting off on yeah. a tangent here <laughs> Surprise. with phones. But um, but you were talking about uh, being at Old Salt and that's not going to be the situation for much longer. It's true. And do you have a location picked out? Uh, we do. We have the lease in our hands and it is not signed yet. Oh. So we cannot give any specifics. So you were pretty confident that you'd have a lease because you wouldn't have made these announcements that you're going oh, to the yeah. next stage. Yeah. I mean, we're we're 99.999% sure that everything is going to work out Are totally you? fine. We're like, we've met the landlord and, you know, we all hugged and it's very sweet and yeah, marriages start that way too <laughs> <laughs> so yeah basically as long as we can get the paperwork signed while we're all still you know happy go lucky with each other no i i'm i'm really excited honestly um i feel very positive i don't think that anything would happen that would cause this to fall apart Do you um, have, are you showing least to any of your uh, people in the food industry that would be more familiar with it i haven't shown it to anyone yet um my uncle uh, is a real estate attorney in North Carolina. So I think I'm going to let him see it. 
Um, but the laws are very different there. The, the laws are different, but at least he understands the language. Right, and of he might it, know and what he to basically, ask. He knows what to ask, and he can also, you know, take a look at it and see if there are any things that raise alarms for him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and we've also been, you know, kind of asking around ever since we started kind of going down this road of potentially opening a restaurant. Zach and I have been asking all of our friends for any kind of advice <laughs> that they're willing sure. to give us. And that, you know, that's some of that is what needs to be included in the lease, what we need to make sure is there. But it's also, you know, what do we really need to make sure we have on draft? What do we really want to make sure we include in the restaurant space? You know, we're lucky enough to have an amazing community here in Portland where everyone is willing to share that kind of information. Um, so, yeah, we're doing a lot of crowdsourcing with Good. all of that. Yeah. So can you give us just a hint on about where it might be? What neighborhood are you looking It's not at? too far from where we are located now. Okay. Yeah. Good. That's, yeah. Still difficult for me to get to, <laughs> but this podcast is not all about me. Uh, but court two, that's on the other side of town. Yeah. Yeah. So we, <laughs> we live out at like 110th and Stark. Zach and I do. Right. So we definitely wanted to do something on the east side. And I think when I originally was thinking about it, I wanted to do something kind of pushing the boundaries out past like 70th. Yeah. But um, that, you, is not, that is not the country situation. Country Cat re, re, Redux years <laughs> later because they pushed the boundaries they totally when they did. opened in Montevilla. Yeah, and now Montevilla is one of the hottest neighborhoods in the country or whatever that headline is. In that the country? Mm-hmm. I missed that headline. Oh, it, I forget. I'll have to see if I can find it and send it to you. Um, there was an article that came out the other day in a, a national publication saying... Montevilla is like the coolest neighborhood in America or some crazy thing like that. Oh. Which is, I mean, I love Montevilla, but watch out, Montevilla. Yeah. <laughs> you're about to get mobbed. Well, plus we're in this environment now where Portland's got this vibe. So if anybody mm-hmm. sees that, all of a sudden now Montevilla is going to be the next one with those buildings. Uh-huh. You look up and you don't recognize it any longer. Yep. So you were on the podcast two years ago. Was that it was two in December, years ago? December of two thousand fifteen. So I'm that flies. is episode, I believe it's number sixty five. Okay. And we're pretty much a little beyond double that now. Wow. So you and Court and I have had a lot of experiences since then. Yeah. Um, at that time, one of the things that you had said was that the administrative end of your business was something you weren't very good at, and you obviously didn't enjoy it. If you're not good at something, you probably don't enjoy it. Um, how are you with that now? Because in order to open up <laughs> brick and mortar, you have to be a little more comfortable with that yeah. because it's going to be a bigger part of your day. I have learned a lot over the last couple of years, as I'm sure you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much, you know, everything, everything that we've done has been kind of, you know, firmly on my shoulders in terms of the administrative duties and things like that. So I've learned all of it as I've gone. Um, I feel like I've grown a lot (laughs) as a business owner. And I saw you changing quite a bit. You'd go from just taking reservations by the phone to brown paper tickets back and then say, no, I don't want to do that. And then I was always, you know, my advice to you was, just sell the tickets and yeah. don't deal with cancellations on the yep. last day. And that's what we do. <laughs> but you still are doing them. I still see we have openings. So yeah. are you trying to be nice? To, is, are the people on the hook for those tickets when they cancel and you'll reimburse them if people, if you can sell them? People is it are, like consigning tickets? Yeah, we basically, you know, we just have a, a window of basically if they try to cancel within 24 hours of the dinner, we don't let them. Um, unless, you know, if somebody writes to me and they say, I'm going into the hospital for emergency surgery or whatever, then I'll, I'll let go of that and just, you know, put a little trust out into the world and hope that no one's really going to lie about that kind of stuff to me. I, see, <laughs> I think that's very trusting because, and I'm not indicting anyone, yeah. but I just think in this world today, the opportunity to text and get out of things is mm-hmm. too high. And I agree. So the white lie quotient is really high because, okay, I re- it'll save me... $150, right? Mm-hmm. I can't go. So it'll save me $150. What do I say? If I say anything that puts you in the position to be uncomfortable by saying no, that's what I think what a lot of people are going to do. I feel like I have a lot of discomfort with saying no a lot of the time just because I, I have a tendency to want to make other people happy. Um, but I also have a tendency to stick up for myself. And so when people 
obviously are, are lying to me or saying something crazy or they just get really angry and they want to just kind of yell at me until right, it's I... it's your fault for your ticketing system yeah. that they bought into. Yeah, and I, I definitely get a lot of that. I mean, most of our customers are really incredibly sweet people and they've been very patient with us as we've gone through all these growing pains of, you know, going from having dinners that we never sold out in the first, you know, six months or whatever to now um, all of our tickets for a month sell out within six minutes when we announce them. Um, and so a lot of these people have been very, very kind and very patient going through all of this, but we have had our share of really angry, vicious yeah, those are the same people that if you didn't do it that way, <laughs> yeah. they'd be angry and vicious when they showed up and there was an hour and a half, two hour wait. Exactly. If you were doing regular service. People hate waits. Yeah. They, well, and <laughs> we, already, we have to skirt the line in this town. It's true. Like you did your, uh, your chowder thing last night. Yeah, chowder thing last I night was, was so, crazy. I knew about it mm. and I forgot. I was looking for something to do last <laughs> night and then uh, I didn't really actually realize it was last night and then I saw... Someone post this three-hour wait, for, or two to three hours, that's what someone said. Anyway. I didn't even know that it got up that far, but I, I knew that it was definitely a wait. I mean, I got there 10, 10 minutes before it opened because I had to, you know, deliver my garnishes and explain exactly how I wanted my soup. Um, but it there was, there was already a line, and yeah, I mean, with stuff like that, you just kind of, you can't control it, and frequently something that, you know, I've experienced Every time that we've done an event that's been open to the public uh, where people don't have to buy a ticket and they can just come get our food, there's a gigantic line when it opens. And then everyone that walks by or that sees that is like, well, screw that. I'm not going. That's, I'm not waiting in the line. And then, you know, you get halfway through the night and there's nothing. Yeah, I've had Kim Malik on this show mm-hmm. and and um, Greg Denton explaining yep. their lines. And lines it's are not hard. always bad, but but. Uh, to get back to what we were talking about, when people yeah. are trying to cancel, yeah. I have the same situation. I don't get a lot of cancellations, but if someone acknowledges that I understand this is your policy, but I'd really appreciate it, that's very different than someone who's just saying, oh, uh, my aunt just went into the hospital and right. you have to live with that explanation. Yeah. So I don't know. I, we, it's something I deal with once in a while and you got to, you got to, you're in a hospitality business. Yep. You got to be nice. You got to be nice, but you also have to protect your own interests, which I think is something that I have learned over the last couple of years. I've gotten better at protecting myself. So do you think you're, um, you think you're a little tougher than you were two years ago or I three years so. ago? Cause I've, I've noticed on Facebook <laughs> and I get, you got to be careful in this environment where we are today on, yeah, your, yeah. on your adverbs. Uh, so anyway, I've just noticed on Facebook you've had a slightly more, what's the word? Uh, just a more proactive yes. approach. You're not just, if someone says something that you want to comment on, and by the way, I'm, I, you know, one of my biggest <laughs> faults is I can't shut up. When I'm telling myself <laughs> to just shut up, it's still going to come out anyway. So, um, but I've noticed on even on Facebook, and I'm not following Twitter. I don't know what you're doing there. I don't and, do anything on Twitter. Yeah, I don't either. So, or Instagram, but you're, you know, you're speaking out when something bothers you. Yeah, I feel like it's very important to do that. You know, this industry is uh, like kind of like a close knit family, right? And so, I think it's important to address the problems in that industry. I think it's important um, for us all to feel comfortable speaking out when we feel that something isn't right. Um, basically, I at this point in my life, try to treat myself like I would treat a friend. Like if someone was doing something that I felt was unfair to a friend of mine, I would tell them to call them out. I would say, stick up for yourself, you know, scream, scream from the rooftops that this person is treating you in a way that is unkind or whatever, you know? And so I try to do the same thing for myself. Mm -hmm. You know, I try not to be um, afraid of people. I I don't think I'm a jerk. Like I, I think I'm a pretty sweet person. Um, and I'm willing to talk pretty much anything out with anyone, but I do not have the time or the patience at this point to stand by and let somebody say mean stuff about me. Yeah, well, that's where the patience is where it comes in, because I can't tell you how many times I have said, this is the syndrome I go through. I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> I really feel strongly about this, but I just don't want to deal with it. I put it out there, and then the next thing you know, I'm in. 
Yeah. And I'm scrapping around. It's like, I didn't need this stress. It's, yeah. Was it that important? And I'm not going to win this argument with this person. They're not yeah. going to. It's like politics now. You're not going to convince anybody. You can't convince anyone. No one's willing to listen. So I said, so anyway, you uh, a couple of weeks ago, and mm-hmm. this is going to, we're recording this uh, over a month before people are actually hearing this today. So right. this is recorded uh, November 20th. Mm-hmm. And a uh, week or so ago, Something happened on Willamette Week, wrote an article. Yeah. And it was a favorable article towards you and your restaurant and your food. But they slammed your region and your heart. And (laughs) so I saw, and by the way, I can actually, so people understand the context. We can't just assume people know what was said. So I'm going to, I I printed this out. Oh my goodness. You don't mind, I'll read it. Go for it. Is that okay? Yeah. And so part of me, when I saw you react to it, and I, you know, I'm very fond of you. So I felt like saying, Maya, just forget it. Don't, you're just, you're giving them more exposure to people that wouldn't have seen it, just like I am right now. Um, <laughs> but it's, not, you know, and so that part of me was like, just forget it. And then on the other hand, I step back and I go, yeah, I can understand why she was upset about that because yeah. her, you're all, everything you've built is based on the South and mm-hmm. your love of it, right? Your dinners, I mean, one of the things that makes them so marvelous is not just the food. The food is fantastic in and of itself, but if you just slam that down and never said a word to anybody, I don't know that you'd have the lines. I think it's, I think it's wonderful food, but you create that experience that you yeah. were talking about. Yeah. And, and part of that experience is you and your heart and your background and your grandmother. Yep. And so, um, so when... It was written, and I wrote down his name. I don't remember the author's name. Aaron Mesh. Aaron Mesh. Mm-hmm. I figured you'd know it right off the bat. <laughs> <Sure> <laughs> <do>. <laughs> I, I did see that, but the, uh, anyway. So here's what he wrote. The it action- should be noted, by the way, not yeah. to cut you off. It should be noted that this was in the Willamette Week restaurant guide. Right. Um, where they listed the top 50 restaurants in Portland. We were listed at number 22, which is pretty awesome. You're given not even that really we're a, a restaurant. Exactly, given that we're a two-day-a-week pop-up. And I was flattered, and I was excited, mm. um, and I felt really great about that. We've always had you know, a pretty great rapport with Willamette Week. Um, we've done dinners with them and things like that before. Um, so that is why this caught me off guard so much. Okay, so yeah. you want to read it, or should I no, read it? No, you should read it. Court, maybe you, you want to read it? <laughs> I, I can read it. Yeah, so. why don't you read it? You're, right. you got, you're the guy, the professional. Now, see, now that all the pressure's on me as yeah, I stumble through that's it. That's right. Hey, by the way, just in case you forgot, we can edit. Yeah, that was true. I can edit. Yeah. All right, here we go. Exactly. The actual American South, like most of the actual America, is not a nice place. It is beer breath and Christian-only motels and fried chicken that gets the grease up under your fingernails and makes you wish you had not ordered the fried chicken. It is disappointment. Maya Lovelace's fried chicken, by contrast, is so immaculate that in hindsight, it seems imaginary. No way did a platter of thighs and legs really arrive at your table by the dozen, each piece lacquered with a shell of three fats that somehow managed not to seep into the bird, but instead protect the meat like a little birthday present. Lovelace brings these gifts personally to each table with an anecdote about what they meant in her North Carolina childhood. And one suspects that her talents as a storyteller have helped propel her to a James Beard nomination after just two years of running a pop-up in back of a Coley butcher shop. The acclaim is deserved. At least two dishes on a recent Monday night, the pimento mac and cheese, and an iceberg salad had patrons talking semi-seriously about licking the bowl clean. And that salad did taste like a Thomas Kincaid vision of heaven painted in ranch dressing. But Lovelace is also conjuring a world we wish existed clean and generous, and warmed by a bottle of brown bag whiskey. For two hours, nothing disappoints. All right, so here's my feeling on that. Mm -hmm. That's really nice. I mean, for you, take the first paragraph out. Yeah, yeah. That's a really nice review. Yeah. And I think a lot of people probably wouldn't even notice the first part because as as a lot of people pointed out in this argument on Facebook, Mm -hmm. that was about him. That part was about the writer. Right. Really, that's his experience. It has nothing to do with what you're doing but other sure, than his perception mm. of what Southern food really what is. Basically, when I read that, and what's funny is I, I talked to Martin Sismar about this. When I first, Martin Sismar being the restaurant editor of Lim Week, um, when I first saw this article, um, 
I sent him a message and we shot messages back and forth where basically I was saying, I feel like this is incredibly hurtful, um, not just to me, but basically this guy is slandering an entire part of the country um, in a way that I feel is really unfair and uncalled for, especially in a restaurant review. Um, and basically he was saying, oh, well, you know, Aaron's from Florida. So these are his stories. And I'm like, cool. He didn't say that this was his story. All he said was the American South is not a nice place. Um, it is disappointment. Basically, that's a statement of fact. That's not a when I was growing up in the South, there were a lot of things that really bothered me, whether it was the greasy fried chicken that got up under your fingernails and made you wish you hadn't ordered it or whether it was driving by a Christian only hotel. These things made me feel alone and out of place. However, I see a different version of the South when I go to May, when I go eat my. So your problem was the blanket statement. Yes. That was, so, my, that was my only problem. I feel like anyone can say anything that they want about the South or about their personal experience. That's really important. And I think that it's important for journalists to be able to express themselves and to tell their own stories. I do not think that this was an appropriate place for this guy to do this, especially without clarifying that this was his personal story. Well, you could tell by reading it that it was a, a personal story. I've spent a lot of time in the South. My parents lived in Savannah, and as we discussed last time, I went to Gullah kitchens all over the South. And sometimes, like anything else, sometimes it was great, and sometimes not so great. So that's going to happen. I just wanted to, uh, because this is a life of a chef, and this is what you have to deal with. And um, I know Martin Sismar, we've never invited him on the podcast. I think you should. Yeah, I suppose we should. He's got a problem with this podcast, though, right off the bat. (laughs) So uh, he thinks that we've been, um, or it's his position that we don't get both sides of the story. I don't feel we're that kind both of media. Sides of what story? Like the, in this instance, we should interview Aaron. We should have. We should automatically put Aaron on the line to present both sides of this. Uh, and there are some other issues when we have defended, uh, or we put Rick and Rick Giancarelli and Kurt Huffman on the uh, podcast when yeah. Rick had his problem. Yeah we didn't present the other side of the story. The only, my answer to that, and not to go into that, we were just presenting some facts that were out there. They weren't opinions. Right. And we left it at that. So, um, but it's thing, those are things to think about. Totally. But we don't also have the ability here. We record a couple of times a month. We don't have the ability every time to say, hey, <laughs> we know what's coming up on this podcast. Let's present both sides of the story. Yeah. So, um, at any rate, uh, but I also feel that many times they like to put that stuff in to create a little bit of controversy and get some clicks yeah. and increase readership. And I get that. I understand that we're in an unfortunate place with journalism where it's all about clicks. It's all about how much attention you can get and how much controversy you can sow so that you can reap attention. Um, I don't think that that's good for journalism. I especially don't think it's good for the restaurant industry. Um where we are all, you know, putting our hearts and souls into something and we want it to be represented properly. You know, basically my feeling with this article was that, you know, people can say whatever they want about my food. People can say whatever they want about their experience when they come to see me because they paid the money. They have the right to feel however they want about it. Right. Mm -hmm. This wasn't that. Um, This was instead a large blanket statement that I felt just kind of reeked of bigotry toward the American South and the people of the American South. Um, And I thought that it was an inappropriate place to put that. I didn't think that that should be in a review of my restaurant that is my heart and soul. Um, Obviously, it's his right to to say whatever he wants um, at the end of the day. But I didn't feel like I should just shrug that off. Um, I wanted to say something about it. And so I did. Um, and basically what happened was that, you know, I had this conversation back and forth with Martin. Then it becomes a big deal too, because everybody's lopping on. Yeah. I had this conversation with Martin and basically what he told me was Aaron thought your food was great. He just thought it was a Disney fied version of what the South is really like. Oh yeah. We had this conversation in private. So sorry, Martin, if I, if you didn't want me to say that. I don't think he's Um, listening. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, basically he was saying, oh, Aaron just felt like you provided a Disney-fied account of your childhood. Um, and, 
Wow. That that and I would that, take more offense to yes, than, right. than what was there. Right. And so, so and basically once he told me that, I started reading the subtext in the article where he says, Oh, the fried chicken's so good it seems almost imaginary and things like that. And I'm like, Okay, so are you, are you calling me like a, a liar? Like this this pop up that I do is incredibly personal, right? It's my story. It's the story of my childhood. It's the story of my experience with food in the South. And for somebody to say like, yeah, like I get that that's your experience, but it's like kind of not like real. Yeah. Well, or you've spent so much time in the kitchen. You figured out how to do this right when nobody else did. And that's just not, that's not the case. It's not the case. um, So that, that was the upsetting stuff for me. Um, I didn't expect it to blow up the way that it did. I certainly didn't expect, um, to kind of be shouted down over and over again by uh, guys who wanted to tell me that my experience was um, not not true or not real or not valid. Um, that was really alarming for me. Um, but I don't know. It's basically just how an, any discussion of anything on the internet goes at this point. You know, yeah, well, you can come out and say. You yeah. can't win. So then I, I wasn't focused on winning. The thing that was really I understand interesting, that, but it's hard to even, but you, I think you made your point because yeah. a lot of people lined up behind you and said, Oh my, yeah. I, I, I agree. And other people, some people didn't, I suppose. Yeah. And, um, you know, this podcast, this episode is about you and how yeah. you feel. We're not yeah. really talking about the South <laughs> and we're not going to argue what the South is all about, totally. but that's in the context of how you feel. So yeah. just, clarify yes i think the most interesting part of the entire thing was how many messages private messages i got from other chefs and restaurateurs in the city who were like thank god for standing up like we're so proud of you you know it's very important for you to do this we can't let them bully us around anymore um and it was really interesting that these people did this in private and not in public um because i think that there is a level of fear of the media and I don't think that that's right. I think that there should be a mutual respect. I think that we should respect food writers. We should listen to their opinions because they're professionals. And they should also respect us as people who are providing a service that they obviously care about um, that honestly feeds into them having a job. Um, so and those be- jobs are fewer and f- further Those between jobs are now. fewer and far between, yeah. A- and everybody's an amateur critic yeah. now. Yes. So uh, it's, a, it's a whole different world out there. So it's yeah. hard for you, as someone who's putting your heart into what you do, sometimes to uh, delineate that. Who's, who should I really be listening to? And everybody wants to be a critic, so you you got to take the good with the bad, too. Yeah. I mean, you've got James Beard nominations right. now, so <laughs> people are feeling pretty good about what you do. Yeah, and that is wonderful, and I still can't believe it every single time I think about it. I can't believe that that happened. I can't believe that um, I've achieved any of the things that I've achieved in the last couple of years, but I I really do they, wish that there was... Did they honestly surprise you when you got your... I didn't even <laughs> I didn't even know what day the James Beard announcements were coming out. It was so far from But you had to put a you you had to put an application in. Did you No, you don't have to apply. Oh, you don't have to apply. Mm-mm, no. Other people nominate you basically. That's how that works. Okay, cuz um, I just saw I, I I just saw a chef saying application going in. Maybe it was for somebody else. Yeah, basically you can nominate other people you don't apply to to be a yeah part i of didn't it. think that's kind of odd yeah it's so, a little self-serving so i was totally startled i woke up in the morning and i just had you know 35 text messages from people saying like holy shit this is crazy and i was like oh my god what and it was crazy um basically the last two years have been such a weird wild ride of validation if that makes sense i didn't ever expect uh, May to be what it is today. And I'm incredibly thankful for everybody who's been a part of that journey, uh, whether it's, you know, our customers or even the food writers that have come in and have taken, you know, time to actually say positive things that they felt. Um, yeah, it's been. What did you, really can crazy. you think back when you decided to do it? <clears throat> What you thought it was going to do for you? Did you think it was just going to be a struggle and I'm going to try something new and let's see how this goes? So basically when I started, um, when I decided to start May, I was working at Bollywood Theater and Tanuki at the same time. 
Um, and I just wanted a creative outlet for myself um, because I had been, you know, in a in a much more creative role at Beast than I was at either of those two places. Um, so that was kind of lacking for me. Um, but I also wanted to, you know, make something in tribute to my grandmother because, you know, she passed away right after I moved to Portland. Um, and I always really wanted to kind of pay a little bit of penance to her um, for not being there at the very end. Um, so initially when I thought about doing May, I was thinking about um, doing a dinner and seeing how it went mm-hmm. and maybe doing a handful of dinners before I just picked up a, a chef gig at a restaurant that already existed. Hmm. Yeah. And at what, how far into it did you say, hey, wait, let's do the next one. Let's keep doing this. I mean, basically, when when we were successful with our first few pop-ups, you know, we just kind of realized, cool, we'll just keep doing this for now and see what happens. Um, I've always been a big believer in letting things grow really organically and kind of grow as they're forced to grow, hence not opening a restaurant for two and a half years. Um, I think you might have said on the last podcast, you don't want to do that. Yeah. Of course, things change. Things do change. You know, Um, I think that for a long time, I did not want to open a restaurant because I do enjoy having some level of freedom. I do enjoy being able to go out of town. Uh, I do like the idea of traveling, um, more to other countries since I didn't get a chance to do that when I was younger. But at the same time, now that we have this thing that Zach and I have created, um, that's kind of taken on its own life. Uh, it feels like it would be, um, inappropriate to not see how far we can go with it. Basically. Um, it's very, it's fun. It's it's interesting to see how far you've come and where you might go. Yeah. It's really, really fun. And what would your grandmother say? I think that she would be really proud. Would Um, she think you're a better cook than she is? No, never. Was? Oh, never. She would never think that anyone else was a better cook than her. Oh my God. What do you think? I think that we're different cooks. I think that there is a certain level of intuition that she had that I will probably never have. Hmm. Um, just because, I mean, that's what, that's what grandma cooking is, right? It's just like, here's what we have. Here's what's been passed down through the family. I feel like we've lost some of that um, in our, in our modern age where we're so, you know, bombarded with information and recipes and what everyone else is doing at every single restaurant across the world that I feel like we lose a little bit of that focus of, of here's what's in my garden. Here's what my mom taught me to do with it. So here's what I'm going to make for my family. Um, but we do have that. We do have a pretty high degree of that in Portland with right. what's in your garden, what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, everybody's very cognizant about what's growing now. Oh, absolutely. And what's going on the menu. Yeah. So I think that, you know, in a way we're holding on to a little bit of that, but I don't think um, that level of intuition is as uh, as much a part of our lives as it was. Back so then. has the, has the um, aura around your grandmother grown because when you first started doing this it was a dinner right yeah. so it's like i'm the, I'll, I'll do what she did or or i'll derive some of what she did and put this out so at the time it wasn't this big story which your restaurant has become yeah or your pop-up which is going to be your restaurant yeah do you, do you think maybe over time it's she's become a bigger deal to you because this is the crux of your your story and your growth I mean, I think that she, <laughs> I'm just, you know, it's just a thought that I, yeah, I mean, I think that she's always been this big of a deal to me um, because, you know, I, I did learn how to cook from her. Like I learned to cook some from my parents and I learned to cook by reading cookbooks and things like that. But I remember just being fascinated, um, just being so impressed every time I would go to visit her Um seeing someone whose whole life is devoted to cooking for the people around them and taking care of people through food. Which is part of the beauty of the South. Which is part too, of the beauty was, of the South. Exactly. That's true. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. She made a huge impact on me. And I don't think that, you know, I, I don't think that I've like, you know, kind of blown her out of proportion. I don't think that I've created a fairy tale of her, but I think that she definitely... um shines 
pretty brightly through what I do. Did she pull you aside and say, here, let me show you how to do this? Or mm-hmm. was this all mostly by observation? It, some of it was by observation, but she would, she would, you know, pull me over and have me stand on a little step stool and teach me how to make biscuits and, and things like that, you know? And I also remember one of the last times I saw her, um, I went to her house and she was pretty much bedridden and I went to visit her and, um, we talked a little bit. I asked her, you know, how she was doing, how her friends were doing. We talked about all that kind of stuff. And then she was like, okay, we'll go over to the dresser. There's a, a notepad and a pencil. And I was like, okay. And I got it out and brought it to her because I thought she wanted to write something down. And she just started just rattling off cake recipes. Mm. And that was really scary for off me. Off the top of her head, too. Yeah, was off the top of her head. Was mostly everything off the top of her head? Did she have recipes written down? Oh, she had recipes. She had tons of recipes written down. Um, every time I you know, visit with my dad, we end up talking about her various recipes, and he digs through and finds some and, and shares them with me and stuff like that. But I will always remember the fact that I went to go see her, and I was trying to ask how she was doing, and instead she was like, take this. Take these recipes. I want I you to have, have these. Them yeah, and... I don't know. She basically charged me with this mission, <laughs> which was, you know, to continue telling everyone what a great cook she was. <laughs> she was she was a little bit a little bit arrogant, I think, about her cooking, which I think. Do you think you're arrogant about your cooking? Sometimes, sometimes, you, and that helps you. You, I would imagine, you yeah. have to think that would help you. Yeah, I mean, I basically, I, I feel like most creative people go through periods of um, arrogance and insecurity. You know, and I feel like I, I do the same thing where sometimes I feel like I'm, you know, totally hot shit. And then sometimes I feel like I can't do anything. Do you have moments where you say, because obviously compared to three years ago, and we're not going to go back two years ago, <laughs> but you've had a lot of reasons for your ego to be blown right. up and to improperly deal with that. Yeah. Some people do. Some people do. Do you have, um, do you work on yourself? Do you have other people who are saying, hey, now Maya, you know, keep it. <laughs> Keep it real because if you get to that point, then you start losing a lot of what makes you great. Yeah. I I think that I've seen a lot of chefs over time who have given in to ego and who have changed as people. Um, That's something that I've never wanted to deal with. It's something that I've never been interested in. I also have a large group of friends, close friends of mine, um, who are not in the food industry um, which I think is really important for kind of keeping a level head about this kind of stuff, you know, because, yeah, I'm, I'm sitting at home and I have, you know, like my James Beard nomination certificate, and like my Zagat 30 under 30 plaque and, you know, all that fun stuff. But then at the same time, like none of my friends know what that stuff is. Like, yeah. You know, but on the other like, hand, you're in this food city. So to be that person in Portland, Oregon is really cool because there are a lot of people 30 years old who those who aren't looking at those plaques yeah. and certificates. Yeah. And wish they were. So. Yeah, totally. But basically, I feel like I I keep myself pretty level-headed by surrounding myself with people that know that I'm not that big of a deal. <laughs> did, <laughs> you know? did Janice and or Naomi Janice at Tanuki and mm-hmm. Naomi at Beast tell you you either were or going to be hot shit? Did they, did they see it? In Janice. Years? Janice definitely did, yeah. I remember <laughs> when I first started the pop-up, I think Eater Portland asked her for her um, her kind of premonition of what the next year was going to be like in the food world. And she was like, oh, without a doubt, 2016 is the year of May. Um, Maya Lovelace is going to be a big deal. She's going to do all this stuff. And everybody was kind of like, okay, Janice, whatever you say. And then last year was totally insane. <laughs> um, so, I yeah. said that too, by the way. Yeah. First totally. thing, when I came to your first dinner, I said, she <laughs> is going to kick ass. And I don't yeah. say that about everybody. Yeah, They're well, really thank you. Out. So to speak to a little bit of your humility, what scares the shit out of you about opening a restaurant? What, what are you nervous about? Everything. I'm afraid of everything. I'm afraid of um, not having time to take care of myself, um, which I think is something that happens a lot of the time when people open restaurants because you just barrel into it and people sleep at their restaurants, I do not want to do that. Basically, I want to create an environment where everyone that works there is healthy and has, I mean, not to, you know, say the same thing that everybody else says, but I want to create a place that has a great life-work balance. And I want to do that for myself, too. I don't want to carry all of the burden on my own back, you know. Um, So we're going to be open four days a week. 
you know, which means that hopefully in one of those three days that we're not open, I'll have time to sleep and take care of myself. Well, you got prep too, but also right. as you grow, those things change. Yeah. Scotty Rivera is a good example. Yeah. He's got a he's got a pizza place. Great I love pizza. Scotty. Yeah, and um, you start listening, and we also had Todd Edwards, who's got food carts, mm-hmm. Ole Latte. Yeah. Those people, they're starting their business from I I. This isn't just about putting out great food yeah. or. This is creating. Um, uh, a place for people and to do things right. Yep. Healthcare benefits. Yep. Is that what, are you going to try to put that in place? It may Absolutely. not be possible right off the bat. I mean, all of the, all of the numbers that we've run so far that we feel very positive about do include health insurance, health insurance for our employees. Um, because I feel very strongly about that. I've worked in kitchens where I didn't have health insurance and it sucked. It was terrible. Especially since you're in an environment where you can get hurt pretty easily or Absolutely. just get t- just things can happen. Absolutely. You know, I don't think it's right to let your employees get hurt and not have them be able to take care of themselves. Um, also, we work in an industry where mental health and substance abuse are huge issues. And so it's really important to make sure that, you know, the people who work for you, who you're responsible for, have the tools to be able to deal with those problems if they should arise. You know, I have... So many people that I've cared about that I've, you know, gotten to know um, during my time as a cook who have fallen victim to problems with mental health or problems with drugs. And a lot of them are not here anymore because they did not have access um, to things that could help them. And I think that that's pretty much unacceptable. Well, um, it's a it's a, glo- it's a bigger issue than just the restaurant business. Absolutely. Now. But... Uh, you know, since that's something that I can do to help with my little business, that's something that I'm really focused on. Also trying to make sure that um, people have a creative outlet similar to what I was looking for. Um, in those three days that we're closed, we're going to make sure that we provide our employees with the opportunity to start their own pop-ups in our space. Oh, nice. Um, to kind of pay that forward. You know, Ben Meyer has taken such great care of us over the last two and a half years at Old Salt. Um, and we we wouldn't exist without him. May wouldn't exist without him. And so I feel like it's important to, you know. Have you helped Old Salt's business, do you think, being there? I mean, you're drawing people. One would think that you're drawing people who would not have been to Old Salt before to your space. I hope so. I mean, I, it would be nice to, to think that I've done something in return, you know. So I, I hope that that's the case. How many employees do you plan on having when you open? <sighs> About 15. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot different than now, which is you and Zach uh-huh. and some, I don't know if you have regulars who are with you on both nights of service. We just have people that come help us out. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's yeah. a different, I, I see you looking for people last minute too. Yeah. And, you know, and you say you pay well. That's paying well for a night. That's not an, uh, that's not an employee for right. a long period of time. Yeah. That's a little so, different. Yeah. So like I said, you know, with all of the the numbers that we're running and all of the things that we're getting kind of set up before we open the restaurant, we want to make sure that everyone's getting paid well, that everyone's well taken care of, that everyone has a creative outlet, that everyone can go to the doctor if they need to. Um, Do you think, I'm just wondering if you, yeah, yeah. if that's going to be harder to accomplish than, um, than just putting it on paper and making it work because there are a lot of restaurants that are struggling right now too absolutely and so that's got to scare you a little bit it's terrifying like (laughs) i said every every single part of opening a restaurant is really terrifying to me um, which is why i put off doing it for so long um it's just so much responsibility um there's so many people that you are responsible for you know you have to take care of your employees, you have to make sure that you're taking care of the space. You have to make sure that you maintain a good relationship with your landlord. But what I've always told myself is that there are tons of idiots in the world who have restaurants yeah. that, that aren't that don't close. You know, mm-hmm. and I feel like I'm pretty smart, and so I should be able to <laughs> to make it work. Yeah, well, and you have a lot of resources too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There are a lot of people you know. Yeah. Um, so, what was the moment when you said? To, I'm assuming you just said to Zach, and you, <laughs> let's do this. Well, how did oh, that happen? Oh, man, I wish that I could remember the exact moment because it was really funny. <laughs> but I think that we were just talking one day, and you know, I was saying something about how I wanted to like, you know, have guest chefs come and do dinners, or I wished we could do this, or I wish we could do this, I wish we could have a cocktail program, I wish we could, you know, 
make our own country hams, all this kind of stuff. And then just out of the blue, I was like, Zach, we should do it. We should just open a restaurant. And he was like, uh, okay. You know, like whatever, Maya. <laughs> Did he check to see what strain you were smoking at the moment? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but then, you know, a few days later, I was like, no, really, I want to do it. And he was like, um, really? I was like, yeah. He was like, but I thought you didn't want to. And so, you know, we kind of started exploring the idea of it together. We started looking around to see, you know, if there were, you know, spaces open that we were interested in and all this kind of stuff. And eventually we just started to realize how much sense it would actually make and how much easier it would make a lot of things if we had our own space. And part of it, I would imagine, had to do with, okay, we've been doing this for two and a half years. Let's stretch ourselves a little bit and do something new. Exactly. Could you, I think a lot of people, I'm always curious, could you have just continued to do May the way it is and maintained or built a life that you would like? Or is that, is, was this a stepping stone and you're hopeful that the brick and mortar is going to create that for, is going to provide that for you? That's basically what I'm, what I'm hoping is that we can move forward from this, um, have a life that has a little bit more structure (laughs) Um, and really create a life for ourselves around this, um, around this restaurant that's going to open. You're going to get married at any times? Oh, (laughs) that's a question for Zach. I have no idea. Okay. All right. You guys have been together how long now? Uh, Five and a half years. Oh, that's a a long time. Yeah. Good. And and you're working together too. That's more than just having a, that's having an ultra relationship. It's true. I think we handle it pretty well. Um, I think that there are a lot of pitfalls in, you know, working and living together. And I think that we navigate it all pretty well. We just talk about everything. Good. Well, that's the way to do it. So I just realized we can't assume that everybody knows what May is going to look like. There was an article that came out. But let's talk pretty quickly about how what the whole thing is going to look yeah. like, the restaurant. So basically, the restaurant is going to be broken down into two parts. We're opening essentially two restaurants and one kind of, you know, almost like a padi longbon type situation. We're basically in the front of the restaurant. There's going to be a really casual um, counter service space um, where people are going to be able to come get, you know, fried chicken and collard greens, pimento mac and cheese, a biscuit, or even a bucket of chicken or any kind of stuff like that that they want. Eat it there, take it to go. Um, And no tickets, just walk in. No tickets, just walk in and people can get whatever they want and they can get out. Do you think there are going to be lines? I have no idea. I hope that the lines aren't too long because I know that people hate really long lines. We're just going to try to we're going to try to pump as fast as we can. Right, you know? and fried chicken isn't ready in two minutes. You need to right. take time with right. it, too. Yes, that's true. But we're trying to figure out how to make it something that we can do um, quickly and well. So that's going to be the front. And then uh, in the back, there's going to be a private dining room, which is hopefully going to hold 20 to 25, maybe a few more people, where four nights a week, we will keep doing pretty much the same exact dinners that we're doing now. So kind of a family style tasting menu is basically the best way to describe it Um, over, you know, a two and a half hour period, people eating, you know, eight to 10 dishes, including house roasted coffee service and, you know, a lot of old Southern Appalachian techniques and recipes that a lot of people might not be familiar with. I'm hoping that since we'll be doing kind of more, not basic, but more traditional kind of understood southern food in the front we can start really delving into kind of the old weird fun stuff oh really you're gonna go further than you have yeah i'm hoping to i'm hoping to just kind of be able to experiment a little bit more um also hoping to be able to bring in you know some other flavors from other cuisines that we enjoy basically may i think will become a little bit more playful and a little bit more complex that that that's my hope well that sounds fascinating yeah i'm really excited so how long how when when do you think you're going to be opening? You don't even you haven't signed the lease yet. We haven't signed the lease, but all things understood, we're we're hoping for the spring. So good, yeah, great. Keep, and keep you, an eye out. And you don't have a Kickstarter yet. We don't. We're going to be launching a Kickstarter in January. We all figure right, well, we'll let everybody get through the holidays, and then you can all send well, us your Christmas timing. money. That's when we're going <clears> to <throat> stream this. This perfect. is going to be the first episode of the year. Did you ah, know that? Right. I think that you you wrote that in the email that I just read last night because I'm a right January. I'm an idiot. So this yeah. will start. Happy New Year, by the way. Happy yeah, New Year, everybody! Happy New Year to yeah. everybody! It's great that we're out <laughs> yeah. of 2017. Go check out, go check out my Kickstarter. Yes, well, it are, is it I already there? No, no, no. It, <laughs> Trigger it because we have millions of listeners. 
and <laughs> draw that. So um, you said millions with a B, right? Yeah. Never, never so uh, wishing you lots of great things in Thank 2018. You. Are you going to shut down? How, how far in advance are you shutting down your Monday and Wednesday? I honestly think we're probably only going to take a, a couple weeks off. Wow. Got to try to keep the money coming in as long as you can. Yeah. You know, turns out restaurants are really expensive. Mm. Yeah, I would think so. And they're getting, <laughs> and the game has changed in yes. Portland. We've discussed this a lot, but I mean, it's not the way it was oh, no. a few years ago, where you could open you up could, a restaurant for thirty thousand dollars. Right, it's a big, it's mm-hmm. a big undertaking. Do you have some people who are backing you? Um, we do not have any partners in our business. It's just going to be me and Zach. We're not giving anyone any equity. Um, but we are working with actually a lot of our regulars who are going to be loaning us money so that we can get this all situated oh, so that's fantastic. really cool we're kind of doing you know grassroots and bootstraps good kind of idea well thank you so much for coming in i know how busy you are and i know how long it takes to get a, an email <laughs> back i'm just giving God. you shit but uh, gonna live it well, down. well my favorite part was that you wrote me back saying sorry it took me so long yes i'd love to come on the podcast da, 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 and then email is still the best way to get me so as like i couldn't go I to know. text i know so uh, anyway, it's, it's all terrible. And no, I it's okay. Everybody's like that. I just, I <laughs> just, it's kind of fun. That's yeah. all. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, guys. All right, we'll look forward to uh, more than fried chicken. Yeah, and I'll be here again in what two years or something, maybe. Yeah, have me back in another Mark, couple. Should years? we start doing the calendar? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> we'll pencil you in. <laughs> oh, we'll, maybe. We'll use pen. Hey, that maybe would, I'll have a restaurant. Maybe I won't. Well, we'll that would be our pleasure because we just we would like to catch up. Yeah, we have. That's why we wanted to have you on again. A lot has happened from the it's last time true. you've been on. So. It's been pretty outrageous. Yeah, it's been great. And it, yeah. couldn't, be, it couldn't happen to a nicer person. Hey, thanks. Nicer people. Thank you. Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupans. Unsurpassed quality. From the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupans and be inspired for your next meal. Food-loving customers as well as local chefs know that Zupans is the place to find the very best Northwest Bounty in Portland, West Burnside, Southwest McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Local and family-owned for over 40 years, Zupans Markets. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at foodpodcastpdx or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Right